Hey, and welcome back to 52 Founders, a weekly interview series with tech entrepreneurs that aims to uncover the founder DNA. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and for today's episode, I'll be with founders Mitch Kirby and Kevin Marvinak of Transparent Career, the next generation career management platform for job seekers and employers. Kevin and Mitch won Chicago Boots New Venture Challenge last year and have recently raised seed funding to continue growing their product. And now it's time to hear their story. So to get started, I'd like to know, just tell us a little bit about what Transparent is. Or now is the name Transparency, Transparent MBA. Yeah, there's been a long progression of names. Um, we started as Transparent Booth when we were just at Booth and became Transparent MBA, and now it's Transparent Career uh, as we're transitioning to being able to help everyone with their careers. But what we do is we uh, crowdsource compensation and satisfaction information uh, and allow people to understand if they're paid fairly and explore their careers and what, what potential opportunities might be able might be available to people with their backgrounds. Great. So how did you guys originally come up with the idea? Um, so this started, uh, I, I just graduated from Booth this year or this past year and I was coming back as a second year and was still unsure of what I wanted to do. Um, and I was interviewing at a bunch of places and I didn't want, I kept getting into this situation where I was like getting through the, down the interview, but I wasn't actually sure if I wanted to work at that company. Um, and it felt weird, like going all the way through the process and not having enough data to like decide if I even wanted to go through the process. Like, would this company pay well? What opportunities did it uh, allow people who went to work there to do? Um, and there was just a dearth of data and sites like Glassdoor, I couldn't really find very good information and our career services offices just didn't really provide very detailed information, it was just high level averages. So I was like, this is kind of BS. We've just spent like 200 grand on our MBA. Like we should have much better data on figuring out like what's the right opportunity for us. Um, and I was learning to code at the time. So just kind of used this pain point as an initial uh, way to build up an MVP to solve it, so. So when did you bring in Kevin to get involved? So, Kevin came on board in February when we had already uh, launched the initial prototype and we were thinking about entering the new venture challenge and we had basically, we were thinking like what first years are awesome and who have we heard is awesome and Kevin's name kept coming up um, <laughs> and Kevin was going to, I think, go work for a different NBC company at the time so I ended up meeting with him um, to try to convince him to join our team instead. Yeah, I had uh, been toiling on my own idea also in the career augmentation space and it was I think potentially a good idea, but I didn't have any of the technical background and I couldn't get technical team members to really uh, help me with the product. So when I applied to New Metro Challenge, they said, hey, this is nice, but you don't have a product, come back next year when you, you have an MVP. And so when Mitch approached me and had an MVP, it was really attractive, plus it was in the same space that I had been really interested in, which is this idea of how can you improve your career, um, albeit a much different way of, way of going about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's so interesting <clears throat> to me about Transparent is you know, that you were interviewing for jobs that are so far away from entrepreneurship, and then you ended up making the leap there. Um, and so I'm curious, when did you ever first start thinking about entrepreneurship? Was it prior to Booth, or did you come to Booth trying to do New Venture Challenge or anything like that? Yeah, um, I think early in my life, I 
didn't necessarily know entrepreneurship was a thing, but I kept doing things that were kind of related to them. Like I would get really passionate passionate about certain ideas and just get really into it and, and build something. So like I was really into building rockets when I was little. So I started this. Yeah. <laughs> like how old? Like, well, but I was initially when I was like eight, but then we wanted to, a couple of friends and I wanted to build like much bigger rockets in high school. So we started this club to like finance it where um, like we went around and sold candy and muffins at school to like finance building uh, large rockets. So we ended up building like pretty huge rockets that had like computer systems on board and went like two miles high um, and were like 30 pounds. And so it was a lot of fun. Um, so it was just like, it was a lot of things in my life that I just would get passionate about and start building something around it. But it wasn't always just for the intent of like being an entrepreneur or entrepreneurship. Um, but so I think it was those sort of impulses that eventually later on led to the desire to like start things and build stuff um, yeah, and make things that other people wanted to use. So yeah. I think that was the kind of driving force. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I, I think I characterized myself growing up as always an entrepreneurial person, but I never was, uh, I never took the leap. And I think there are a lot of, le- lot of reasons for that. I think growing up, I, um, I definitely had uh, my own way of doing things and I always I always liked to um, I liked the leadership aspect of it and I was attracted to that I also had watched my mom um, she had started I think three businesses by the time I was in high school mm. and mostly you know small businesses sole proprietorships things like that but I always was really attracted to the idea of, that she had of, of just like hey I don't I don't particularly know exactly what I'm doing all the time but I'm figuring out as I go and I'm um, building this for myself so uh, throughout the years I started little kind of side hustles as I call them, but I never like took that full leap. And one, one of my main reasons for coming back to Booth was, uh, or coming back to school and going to Booth was giving myself like a small sandbox in which I could figure out, should I make a leap? Or am I just always gonna be the entrepreneurial person that, uh, you know, that will do these little side hustles or be innovative within my, my role in a company and, and not go any further than that. So. Um, yeah, I think I've always had those qualities as well, but never really. Well, it's funny it. you guys talk about taking this leap, but when you're a kid, you know, making rockets, it's not necessarily, you're not <laughs> necessarily thinking about how would I turn this into mm-hmm. a company, but it does sound that you were, you know, at least creating from an early age. Um, and so for your mom, did she have a positive, did she kind of give you a positive vibe about entrepreneurship? Was it, or did you see any struggles that made you think maybe not, maybe it's not the right path? No, I never really saw the struggles. I mean, like I said, she was more of a small business owner than, mm-hmm. than I guess what maybe popular culture nowadays would term as like an entrepreneur or a startup founder. Um, and I think that, I think it was really, it was really cool to watch what she did. I mean, she's in 1993 or something like that. She taught herself how to build computers and then she taught herself website design in an age wow. when you know, that wasn't super common. And especially as a woman Definitely. and a stay-at-home mom doing that, yeah. I mean, that was pretty empowering to see. So I saw a lot of the positives, not as many of the negatives, um, and I think uh, I think that's always influenced me. Yeah. Did your parents miss you anything entrepreneurial, or were they kind of more traditional? They're pretty. I guess the, the closest thing to entrepreneurship is that my mom is she's a CPA and has like her own private practice, um, but that's about as far as get. Both my parents are very very risk averse, mm-hmm. um, and just like big savers, like more just work hard and. Uh, work your way up and not take huge risks. Um, so I wasn't exposed to that much like of pure entrepreneurship uh, growing up, I don't yeah. think. All right, so let's go back, I guess, to, we're talking about your childhood. So uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a pilot for a very long time. Really? Yeah. 
I got ended up getting my pilot's license, but I was always really into like planes and aviation from like a super young age. Um, what was the appeal of the pilot? I just like planes, so um, and I liked flying, so I thought it'd be pretty cool to be able to fly all the time. Yeah. Um, then I was sort of realized like being a pilot, pilots don't actually like their jobs very much and become pretty <laughs> miserable. Plus, I like ended up liking academics a lot, and it felt like I could maybe try to go further in school, and it didn't seem like a lot of the people who went like did a lot of academia or a lot of a lot of um, schooling ended up becoming pilots. Um, but I still really enjoyed. So I kind of pivoted uh, and wanted to do uh, aerospace engineering as like what my what I would study. So when you studied engineering in college, that's what I went in studying. <laughs> um, and then the classic took, tale. Yeah, then took my multivariable calculus class at first semester and just hated it for a lot of different reasons. Um, but was still into science, so I ended up studying molecular biology uh, just because I really like science. Um, but that's what kind of ended up getting me away from the whole flying and aviation side of things. So molecular biology to Booth to now we're doing a startup. So. Yeah. It's been a weird path. <laughs> no, I find that's pretty common. Um, what about you, Kevin? Do you have any or your childhood dreams? So I think I started off being uh, telling everyone that I want to be an architect. And that, I think that stuck for like the longest out of all the various things that passed through my young head. And I totally see that. then I, I kind of <laughs> realized that, very similar to what Mitch said, architects kind of hate their jobs, are underpaid for their level of education, and you're always building something for someone else. Um, you know, I, I had this view in my mind, I was a big like Anne Rand reader, so I had like this like view of like the fountainhead, that it was like this cool like, I can build something and make my mark on a city or on a landscape or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's just not realistically always the case. So I think after that, I was really attracted to the idea of, I definitely wanted a business career, um, but I've always, I've always wanted to be an author too. So, and I think that, that kind of fire continues to burn within me, but I think it's something that I'll probably punt on for a little while. Yeah. And did you always think you were going to go to college or did you ever think about taking some time off or, or not going at all? Yeah, I was probably a little bit too, um, traditional in my mind I was I was probably too traditional in my habits I should say than my mindset really would have liked so I think that I always had this mindset of being a little bit more of, a, of an entrepreneur and, and kind of forging my own path but my environment was just not really the environment that I grew up in and my extended family in particular you know that wasn't really um, that wasn't really part of the psyche so I always sort of assumed that I would go to college you know every step in my path kind of led that way um, and then I assumed that I would like figure out this path for myself afterwards um so I mean, wish that I considered it though yeah I think I think that's pretty common just from a generational point of view um at least in, I know Grant for me it was very I didn't even think about it just very much oh after high school you go to college mm -hmm. uh, but you mentioned leadership roles before what kind of leadership roles did you have as a kid quite a few I I think uh once I got into high school I started realizing that I really liked the idea of leadership, not necessarily for the, just for the position itself, but I, I think the thing that to this day even makes me feel the best is when I can you know, help other people accomplish a lot of things that maybe they didn't think they could. Um, so I always liked that aspect of leadership, like the whole like training mentality of the, lead, of the leadership cycle. And in, in high school, I got involved in student government. Um, I got involved in a couple other like service, more service oriented leadership roles which was really fun. And then in college, I actually started, um, or co-founded, I should say, the Entrepreneurship Club, 
for undergrads at, at my university, oh, wow. which for some reason had not existed before, which just tells you how traditional of a university it was. <laughs> and I won't name any names. But yeah, it was wild. We, we started that and I, I took over as president and then chairperson for the rest of my time in school, like three years. Um, so that was really eye-opening and fun and challenging as well. What do you think the biggest lesson you learned from that was? Or, or rather, any of the experiences? <laughs> this is going to sound like totally playing up to this because Mitch is here, but it's definitely pick your founder the right <laughs> way. Um, so Mitch, leave the room and we'll get the honest. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a real conversation. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the guy that I ended up starting it with, um, super passionate guy, has a lot of strengths, just, um, you know, didn't, we didn't really work well together. We shared a, a slightly different vision of where the club could and should go. Um, we had much different leadership styles, which often clashed. And, and in some ways, I think that hurt the rest of the development of the club as well. But I think we were the fastest growing club in the history of our university. Yeah. So we did have some success for a little while, but ultimately that kind of sunk us. So how did that then, when you met Mitch and he came to you with this idea, what, how did you kind of vet him as your co-founder? To know that that was going to work out. <laughs> I don't know if it was like a process like that because this, I mean, it sounds like when we talk about it in, in retrospect, it sounds like so black and white. Like Mitch met me for coffee and said, hey, do you want to work with me? And then I said, sure. And then we became co-founders. You know, that's not how it works. It was more of a period of like two months, just like continually feeding off each other and getting, I remember like sessions of getting more and more excited about the path that we were on. And it eventually got to the point where I think even before we had the conversation, it was probably a foregone conclusion in both of our minds that we were going to continue and see if this thing could actually be real. Um, and when we did have that conversation, it just made everything a lot easier because we had already spent two months kind of like working on it a little bit more expectationless, if that's a if that's a word. So you didn't have this aha moment like this is going to work with us too. It's weird because it wouldn't have happened if Kevin didn't exist. It wasn't like I was the founder and it was happening. It was mm -hmm. like. We made enough progress. The other team members we knew weren't going to be on the team. And had I not had Kevin be someone who was actually committed to doing it long term, I probably would have taken it less seriously because I knew I probably wouldn't have carried the burden on my own because that would have just been way too scary. But having Kevin like alongside me buy into it and having him be a very different skill set than mine felt like we actually had the ability to, to do it for real. Um, so having him committed made it easier for me to commit to and I think then we like both were that was kind of how we became real co-founders more in May like two months after we became like co-founders on mm -hmm. paper so you both knew regardless of the outcome of the new venture challenge you were going to do this or was it that that was winning it really made you take the leap like I'm not going to recruit this is going to be my career I think by the time we got close to the end of it within the last few weeks we knew we were at least going to do well in it well enough to probably allow us to raise a little bit of money or at least bootstrap it to get to a certain point um, where then we would make a different decision, but we had committed to doing it. Um, then the new venture challenge, winning that just kind of accelerated all of our plans that we had, basically. <laughs> so you mentioned bootstrapping. Did you ever, did you guys ever discuss bootstrapping? I know you just recently closed your seed round, so congratulations. But yes. did you ever think, you know, what, what is the value of going the VC route versus trying to bootstrap it yourself? Yeah. yeah. I, I we talked about this a lot. We do talk about this yeah. a lot. Um, well, originally we were going to bootstrap until, you know, we're a cyclical product. Like we, we are, um, students are using us mostly during the school year, obviously. And we thought like, hey, what if we bootstrap until halfway through the next school year and just see where we're at, like see what our traction looks like before we go raise any money or anything like that. That was kind of our original plan mm -hmm. that 
as Mitch mentioned, changed a little bit when we won the new Metro Challenge um, because then it became a lot easier to just go right into a seed round from there. So we did talk about the benefits of bootstrapping a little bit, but with a networks business, it's yeah. it's a lot tougher to do that. Yeah, yeah. that was the... We, we envy businesses and we want to do this as much as possible where you can just like start getting revenue very early on um, mm-hmm. and bootstrapping it that way, whereas it felt like a lot of the value of what we're doing was the user network and that we were that was the first step that we had to do so it felt a little bit more difficult to to do the more revenue generation side of it so um that was what tipped us i think more towards uh raising some capital as opposed to not yeah i think yeah i I think it's also when you're thinking about monetization too it lets you at least put off the or think about the right way to do it versus having it be a forced hand yeah um so what is the most surprising thing that you've learned so far being a founder (laughs) <laughs> cue silence everything is just so much harder and more you hear everything like everything that I, I've learned is like if I say it it's obvious because it's what everyone says but feeling it and being in it is so much different than like reading about it on paper I don't know like the, the roller coaster like all of the issues like everything just is so much more intense and more powerful than I even imagined it being when you just like hear about like, Oh, entrepreneurs and the, the roller, it's a roller coaster the grind, and yeah. the grind. And, and, um, I don't know. Hashtag the grind. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, um, <laughs> being in it for real and, and how much more of a commitment it is than I think people think it might be just like to make things really happen. It, it takes years and no one's an overnight success. Um, and like we'll be successful because we think really hard and are really focused about something for a long period of time, not because we hit like this aha moment and all of a sudden become a billion dollar company overnight. Like it's just a, nothing works that way. So it's more of the hustle and resilience. Yeah. And now, I guess going back to my this will be my last you know early uh, you know youthful question, but do you find any experiences that you have when you were younger really gave you that sort of resilience and and that's ability to think long-term and, and be introspective rather than have to, you know, be excited by the quick gains that while it might be exciting, not necessarily is what going to make you successful later on. I mean, my, my process is probably a little bit different than Mitch. Um, and that, I think that's one of the reasons that I think we're, we're good, we're a good fit as co-founders. Um, but for me, uh, I think this idea of like persistence beats resistance and, just like working really hard to get something done and always being action oriented is more a little bit my, my strength. I mean, we both have that obviously. Um, whereas Mitch to me is much better at like the long-term planning and how does this fit within our strategy and, and things like that. So for me, like the, the closest thing that I can approximate in my past that helped me develop that is probably running of all things. I used to be a huge runner and I, um, I went through a period where, you know, I had not, I, I don't think I'd run, more than a mile for like gym class in my life until like midway through high school. And then I just decided to join the cross country team. Um, and Big move. It's pretty scary. Yeah, it was a little scary. I was always a fat kid too. So that was kind of, uh, <laughs> that was kind of super intimidating for me. Um, and it was pretty miserable for about a year, but I just kind of fell in love with long distance running and ended up doing like four marathons in the next five years and countless half marathons and just really um, got into running. And there's a lot of parallels because distance running is not the same thing as, as sprinting, which is not the same thing as mid-distance running. Distance running is very much like, it's a mental game as much as it's a physical one. 
Um, it's about fortitude and it's about when you feel bad or when your ankle starts hurting a mile 16 or whatever it might be, just kind of like pushing through it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like knowing when to give your body a break, which is hard as well. So that balance is something that is maybe like a microcosm of what the way that I'm like approaching this business at least. It's also, it shows, um, it shows you have to have a little restraint because it might be easy to give into your adrenaline and go full uh, force, <laughs> but you have to keep in mind, no, I have, you know, a long way to go. So <laughs> I'm still not I good ex- at that. Yeah. <laughs> the more I expend in the beginning, the, the more I might hate myself by the end. That's totally true. Um, what about you, Mitch? I don't know. I... Well, it sounds like you were curious yeah. and technically bent from, you know, when you were a kid, if you were yeah, what about science designing you? rockets and science and things like that. I think I just like the product stuff and watching that and learning from that <clears throat> just is what motivates me every day. And now that we have technical people on the team, getting to learn from them is, is awesome. So I think just from the curiosity part of it, um, I feel like every day is busy and every day I'm learning a lot. Um, so yeah, it feels <laughs> awesome in that way, but I don't feel like any particular one experience um, prepared me for this. I don't think anything can prepare you fully for this. So, well, Kevin mentioned, you know, something about persistence. What do you think is the most important quality to have to succeed? Or what is, you know, from the founders you really admire, what is something you try to emulate that they have? I do think that persistence and grit. I was reading this book called Grit um, about about grit and persistence. And it seems pretty clear to me that that is the number one indicator of success like it's anyone can get really passionate about something for a a small period of time but it's the long-term sustained effort on one particular thing that like allows people to become great at something or allows a company to become great the 10,000 hours yeah it's I'm convinced that that's that's it it's not you won't you won't necessarily succeed but I think it's a requirement um yeah to succeed um and it's probably your best bet and that's why I, I look up to Kevin with like the marathon and all that because I have really recognized from a lot of reading and going through this process that that is the most important thing. And I see how like a marathon and stuff like that is a really good like analog for, for developing that type of skills. And I'm like trying to make myself better and more resilient and, and able to just always push through and, and keep going because I, I, it's so clear that that's like how you win. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um... So now we're going to go more towards the, the final few minutes where these are just some fun questions. So what are some products that you guys now are big advocates of? Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be an app, it could be a physical product. What are, what have you become a brand advocate for? Probably similar, all the stuff we use in our business. I'd say the ones that we love the most here are, uh, intercom is freaking awesome. Just an amazing product. Um, hired is an amazing product. Chartio. There are these ones where we use them and it, it's just like everything we want to do has been thought of and even things we didn't think of that we might want to do have been thought of and we're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I definitely want to do that. Um, it's like impressive. When we're building our product, I'm always like, it's so hard, even little things. And looking at how they, where they've gotten to, I'm always like, wow, that's, that's incredible that they've built. Every little thing has been thought of and perfectly done. And um, I aspire to make our product feel like that. Just anticipating people. your needs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What about you? Can anything outside of work in your personal life for you? Oh, outside of work? Oh man, now I gotta switch gears. Uh, I was gonna say Mailchimp and yet another mail merge for more light work. That's like my favorite thing of all time. These are fun questions, guys. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Heaps really good too. Yeah, that's good. But in my personal life, what's left of it? Um, I think that. Um, <laughs> 
No, I think that um, products that I'm a biggest fan of, does alcohol count? <laughs> <laughs> I think that just goes along with peanut butter. The, <laughs> the beer you get at, at yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head to be honest, which is terrible to, to even... Oh, my Kindle, I guess. That's not like a new product or anything like that, but I think the va- that like speaks more to the value of having to like... Of, of You have to do something else with your brain that's not mm-hmm. re- like related to your startup or else you will go absolutely insane. And I've caught myself slipping into that insanity <laughs> yeah. like several times in the last few months. Definitely. And so I started reading a new book and um, I, I just really think that's, that's super important. So I read on my Kindle right now. I'm reading a book called Sapiens. Maybe you guys have read it. Uh, it's basically about the evolution of the human species and kind of dispelling a lot of myths. I uh, love that. Yeah, it was really, it's a really cool book. So actually, my next question was, uh, what is a book you recommend? So I have Kevin's answer to Mitch Woods here. <laughs> Let's see. I'm trying to think. I need to think through my books. I need to read more. <laughs> <laughs> um. I feel like I know a lot of books that I really enjoy, but for some reason cannot come up with any. It's the pressure of the yeah. recording, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's switch gears. So then, final question. If you could interview one founder, who would it be? I'm guessing we have the same answer here. Yeah. That's shocking. Are you going to say it or really? should I? Go for it. Jason Fried. Jason Fried yeah. from Basecamp. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I love Basecamp. Yeah. yeah. So why? I mean, other than his blog, is awesome. I mean, that's a big part of the reason uh, that his blog is awesome and the thought that goes behind that blog is something that I definitely want to be a part of. But um, So I, I think for me, this is my answer. I think um, I think the way that he and DHH have approached building Basecamp is really attractive because it flies in the face of a lot of the myths that, that float around in startup land nowadays. And some of these myths are um, that you need to be a billion-dollar business or that you need to grow at all costs or that, you know, you need to um, have a startup culture, uh, whatever that means. You need to like have a ping pong table or something. You know, I, I don't know. But uh, I think one of the things that I like about him is just their sort of like irreverent attitude towards the establishment of the startup world, which sounds like an oxymoron, yeah. but um, I really like that. I think we like the same things about it. I think there's a bit of this mentality and everything that like, that raising venture capital is success and that certain things, certain external things are success. And at the end of the day, like creating a, a good business and a place that people like to work and, and feel reward rewarded to and built buy into the vision and, and want to build something like that, that's success, like creating a real sustainable company. And I think it started to get lost that like where success actually mm-hmm. is. And we think that, that he has a great perspective and, and gets closest to, um, kind of what actual reality is. No, I, I think that's... I mean, one of the reasons I've loved leaving the Valley is that, you know, the job postings are even different. You know, in the Valley, it's very much unlimited time off. Mm-hmm. You get three meals a day, and I just kept thinking, I don't really want to eat necessarily three meals a day at work. Yeah. On top of that, you get a free bike, and, and, and you just sort of lose <laughs> sight of why did I join this organization? And I think that's maybe why you get more fluidity in the Valley and less loyalty because it becomes less about mission-driven than... Well, I have great perks. Um, mm-hmm. And so I know that at least when we were you know, in Madison, it's, it was very much people were joining this because they loved what they wanted to be a part of. Uh, and so we actually read Basecamp all the time, the, the single, single first race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being on my show. And 
It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. And that's it for this week's episode of 52 Founders. Please visit 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date on what's happening and who we're interviewing next. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for another episode.